Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Church of Corinth was a church greatly blessed with many special gifts of the Holy Spirit, those impressive manifestations of the coming of the Spirit upon the early New Testament church that were given while the Bible was not yet complete. And they had lots of these special gifts, but they were misusing them. Despite all of these blessings, Corinth was a divided church. As we scan through this first letter of Paul, we see that they all have their favorite leaders and preachers that they follow and that they agree with. And we see as we read through the book that there is a love sometimes more for the gift than for the giver. And this, these gifts are puffing people up in the language of the Apostle Paul. They're all impressed with themselves. And just in chapter 11, a few verses ago before our text, the Apostle Paul shows that this self-centeredness, this being as Luther would say, curved in on yourself, just focusing on yourself, seeking yourself, that has even affected that holy meal of communion where believers are coming to the table and they're just eating and drinking for themselves and some are getting drunk and stuffing themselves while others are going home hungry. And that's because in the early church they would often celebrate the Lord's Supper in the context of a, a communal meal. And in all of that, some are saying, we've got the best gifts. We're the most impressive people because we've got, and one of the gifts that they really focused on was the gift of speaking in tongues, being able to speak in, in other languages. And we saw last week that Paul comes to them and reminds them that there's a great variety of gifts of the Spirit in the church. They all have one origin. They all come from the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. They all have one objective, and that is to build up the body in love. Now, the Corinthians focused on the remarkable and temporary gifts, especially the gift of tongues, speaking, and, and miracles. But you look there in the end of chapter 12, and Paul is giving a corrective here, and you see there in verse 28 of chapter 12 how Paul puts an order in things. He says, God has appointed in the church first apostles, Second, prophets. Third, teachers. As he does there in Ephesians chapter 4, he gives priority to those gifts of the Spirit which the Spirit uses to speak the Word of God to us because that's what everything else flows from. And he says, earnestly desire the high gifts. He's not saying everybody should earnestly desire to be a preacher. But he's saying that the church as a body ought to value in the first place those gifts which equip us for the work of our ministry and which fill us with the, the word and the spirit and the love of God. Everything flows from that. The preaching and the teaching, those gifts are given to the church because they equip the saints for the work of ministry so that each member doing its part, the body builds itself up in love. And then Paul says at the end of chapter 12, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Now, if you just read it in the English here, you may think, well, okay, gifts are good, but I'm going to show you something better than gifts. But that's not the point. What he's saying is I'm going to show you the best way to do this. 
I'm going to show you the best way to use the gifts, the best way to earnestly desire the higher gifts. I'm going to show you the most excellent way. And the most excellent way is not love for the gifts in themselves, but love as the goal and the purpose of the gifts. Now, before we get into the text in verse 1 of chapter 13, I, I do need to speak about the word love. We have one word in English in the Greek. There are different words for different types of love. And so that can be a little confusing for us as English speakers. The Greek has a word for sexual love, which is eros, and we have that word in, as a background to some English words. The Greek has a word for brotherly love, the love of friendship. That's philia. And then the Greek has another word for family love, the natural affection that parents and children have for one another and siblings. That's another word yet. Now, we sometimes drive around the city, and sometimes I see at the St. Albert Center a big sign saying, love wins, or love is love. And the way that the world uses love is often having to do with a twisted and confused expression of sexuality. And we ought not to confuse the way that the world uses love with the way that the Scripture uses love. The word love in our text here at the, that's repeated several times is the word in Greek agape. And it is a word which describes the love which reflects the character of God himself, a selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love. It is the very essence of the character of God. The Scripture says God is love. It is pure. It is holy. It is fierce. It is powerful. It is inextinguishable love. It is his very being. It is who he is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. As God dwells eternally in love, in fellowship, in the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he also comes into space and time and pours that love upon us. Now, we have to understand, again, this is the love of God. The world's love is a love which accepts and embraces the twistedness of sin. But the love of God does not love that which is twisted that which is polluted by sin in itself. The love of God seeks to redeem and to restore, to heal, to cleanse, to purify, to sanctify. The love of God is the love that will stop at nothing. No cost is too great, no sacrifice too big to do what is for your good. That's the love the agape love of God. It does not accept you as you are, but it seeks to help you be who you were created to be. And that's the big difference between the love of the world and the love of God. And so as we read through the text and see that word love, let's think of it in biblical 
terms, in terms of the character of God himself and his love. Now, Paul starts, and if you have your Bible open, it'll be easier to follow the sermon. Paul starts, he says, if, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, and see what Paul is doing here. He's been telling off the church a lot, but as a warm-hearted pastor, he, he, he's telling himself off. He's, he's admonishing himself. Now, Paul, as an apostle, he is one of the very few people in history that had all of the gifts, every one of them. He was an apostle. He was a prophet. He was a teacher, a miracle worker. He had the gift of healing. He spoke in tongues more than anybody else. And so Paul is one of those rare people that could say that he had all of these gifts. But he addresses himself, and as he admonishes himself, he admonishes the congregation. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. So tongue-speaking, if you would go into many charismatic and Pentecostal churches today and you hear tongue-speaking, and then linguists have analyzed the sounds which come out of people's mouths, and linguistically it's impossible that it's a language because there are just repeated sounds. Which, which don't fit the, the criteria for what a language is. That's not what the Bible speaks about when it speaks about tongue speaking. It's not just strange, unintelligible sounds. These were actual languages. And you remember Pentecost when the, those fishermen from Galilee were speaking and people from all over the world with different languages were hearing them speak in their language. These were human languages. That's what the miracle is. That's what the gift is. And so Paul says, you know, if I can do that, I can speak in every kind of language, human language, and even of angels. Now, we have no scriptural record of angels speak. They, they may have their own language. Paul kind of seems to imply that they do. But whenever angels come to us in the history of Revelation, the history of the world, they speak our language so we can understand them. But what Paul is doing is he's going to the very furthest that he can. He's using hyperbole, the, the most exaggerated expression of this gift. Even if I'm the very best and do it in the most impressive way, if I exercise this gift without love, it's just noise. That's all it is. It's just noise. Like this banging on these bronze vessels, these clanging cymbals. Now these, these are probably, this is probably a reference of the apostle to the, the brass, the bronze instruments that were used in pagan worship. They were used to incite the worshipers into a frenzy. Just bang, 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 bang. The beating of these drums or these bronze instruments repeatedly over and over, louder and louder and louder and faster and faster and faster. It was just noise. And it just tapped into the the primal instincts of fallen man as they gave themselves over to the wicked things that they did in pagan worship. Paul says, I may have the most impressive tongue-speaking abilities out there, but if I have no love, I'm just, I'm just noise. That's all I am. It's doing nothing. In fact, the, the culture at that time had a saying for people that talked a lot and made a lot of noise and said nothing, they, they would say this, he speaks like the bronze. He speaks like, like the bronze. In other words, he's 
just banging on and he's not saying anything that's worth hearing. Paul says that's what that gift is without love. It says nothing. Then verse 2, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries, all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains. And so, again, these are the special gifts that he's focusing on because they were still being exercised and granted in this time. The Bible wasn't complete. The canon wasn't finished. So when people needed to know certain things, which we can just lock up now in the New Testament, they didn't have the New Testament yet. So they would ask God, and God would give a word to someone in the church, and that person would stand up and say, I have a word from the Lord. And then the word of God would come, and they would have the information which we now have printed in the Bible's in front of us. They would be instructed by God in certain things which they didn't know yet. And so that was given in little bits. People in different churches at different times would get different revelations from the Lord as to what his will was for certain aspects of life and worship. And Paul says, you know, if I've got that gift to the max, and again, it's, it's hyperbole. If I, if I know everything, I know all of the will of God and all of the mysteries of God. And if I have all faith, well, faith, the, the, the gift of, of faith would, was the gift to be able to work great uh, things to confirm the truth of the preached message. It was the great power to change reality in line with God's will and service to the gospel. So healings and raising of the dead, impressive things. And, and Paul says, if I can do that to the max without love, I am Nothing. And you think, well, really, Paul? Like, are you sure about that? I mean, isn't it impressive when people do great things for God? Can you just write that off and say that you're, they're, they're, they're nothing? Well, you remember what the Lord Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to read a few verses from Matthew chapter 7, 21 to 23. It's there with the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7, 21. 23, the Lord Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now listen to this. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? These were people that were really impressive. And everybody thought they were just amazing Christians and amazing preachers and people of faith. And what does Jesus say, verse 23? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. What's a sobering thing? You can build up this reputation of being a great Christian and do all kinds of great things for the kingdom. Be a great spiritual person. But if you are not doing this driven by the power of the love of God, if it is done for me and for my glory and for my reputation and for my satisfaction, what does the apostle say? I am nothing. I'm a big zero. I'm just absolutely useless when it comes to the kingdom 
of God. What a waste of a life to live that way. And then he goes on in verse 3. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, see what Paul's doing here. He's begun there in verse 1 with what they thought was the most impressive gift, speaking in all kinds of languages. He started with that one. He says, well, it's actually the least important one. But even so, if you do it in the most impressive way without love, it, it does nothing. It's just noise. Then he goes in verse 2 to one of the most important gifts. It's prophetic powers. It's speaking the very words of God. And he says, well, even that, even that, I'm nothing if I do it without love. It's just zero. And now in verse 3, he's actually speaking a little bit autobiographically. Well, actually in all of the verses, right? Because he's, he's, he's spoken in tongues. He's prophesied in the name of the Lord. But here he talks about his life and his ministry. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, he hasn't delivered up his body to be burned there again, there's the hyperbole. He's exaggerated. He's, he's taken the, the extreme, the most extreme example. But he certainly has given himself for the gospel. He's given himself over to great sacrifice and great suffering. If you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and look at the verses 8 through to 13, he, he lists all kinds of ways in which he has given up his freedom and his health and his comfort. He has suffered for the gospel. He sacrificed for the gospel. And there in chapter 4 of this, this letter, he contrasts that attitude with the spiritual arrogance of the Corinthians. He says, you guys are so great. You guys are so amazing. And all I am is a guy that gets beaten up and shipwrecked, and, and I suffer, and I lose. You guys are the winners, and I'm the loser. That's how he's kind of admonishing them with sarcasm there in chapter 4. So he's already contrasted in this letter his sufferings with the spiritual arrogance of these Corinthians that say, I'm such an amazing person. i got these amazing spiritual gifts. But again, he admonishes himself even. He says, you know, even the greatest suffering and even the greatest sacrifice without love gains nothing. So do you see the slightly different way he's putting things in each verse? In the first verse, as he speaks about the least important gift, he says even that, when it's done to the max, it does nothing. When he speaks about the greatest gift, he says, well, even if you do that to the max without love, you are nothing, I am nothing, I'm a zero, and then in the, in the third verse, he speaks about the greatest sacrifices. Well, even if you do that without love, I gain nothing. So without love, the gifts do nothing. We are nothing, and they give us nothing. We gain nothing. We have no profit in them. Well, we don't have today the special gifts of the Holy Spirit. As I've mentioned several times, these ceased to be when the Bible was completed and we have the full canon of Scripture in our hands. But we do certainly have the gifts of the Holy Spirit <clears throat> poured out upon us and in our midst. 
And so the same principle that the, the apostle is teaching us applies to us today. What he's warning us against is a love for the gifts themselves, that we focus on those gifts. God has given us certain duties, he's, and when he calls us to do something, he gives us gifts, and he equips us to do the thing he calls us to do. And if we take those gifts and live for them, and they become the driving focus of our life, if we're doing stuff in our Christian life because we have to do it so that other people think that I'm a good Christian, if we give ourselves over to Instagram Christianity where we're working so hard on our brand and we're trying to look like a good mom, a good person, a good dad, a good husband, a good wife, and we're building a house of cards. It's all fake. And it's going to come crashing down sooner or later if it's not built on that bedrock of the love of God in Christ. That's a, that's a really exhausting way to live, brother and sister. When you, when you say, well, these are the gifts that I've gotten, and I've got to work so hard so that people see how good I am in doing this. It's such a paralyzing way to live when you're always thinking, what will people think of me? What are people saying about me? Do people approve of me? Do I measure up to what the other people in the church think I should be doing? That's, a, that's a, an exhausting way, a burdensome way, a paralyzing way to live. It's the way of sin. Sin, by definition, as Luther said, is that the sinner is incurvatus in se. He's curved in, in him, into himself. He's just thinking all the time about me. And then you can even do things which outwardly look so impressive in the kingdom of God, but it's just noise. It's just zero. It gains you nothing. And what the apostle is instructing us this morning, and that the Holy Spirit is instructing us this morning is this, that he has given gift, gifts to us. And he calls us not to get all carried away. Don't get all carried away with yourself and with your gifts. Taking spiritual selfies and getting all upset when people don't recognize or appreciate or give opportunity for your gift. God calls you to use your gifts in love and for love. And some of the greatest and most glorious exercises and uses of the gifts of God, the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the church, are the things that are done in secret, quietly, where the only person that knows is the person that you have shown love to, kindness, grace, and mercy. It's not on the, the bulletin board, it's not in the church news, it's not mentioned from the pulpit, it's not apparent to anybody except you and the person you've poured yourself out to in love and God. You know, one of the greatest examples of that is the gift of motherhood. Every one of us has a mother, so every one of us, in fact, every one of us has at least one mother, if not more, right? We have our birth mothers. Some of us have adoptive mothers. Some of us have spiritual mothers who have nurtured us in Christ. But we all have at least one mother. And so we can all celebrate Mother's Day. And, and you see in the love of a mother a, a faint reflection of the love of God. The mom loves her child unconditionally. 
and she gives up her convenience, her time, her energy. She gives up her body. She gives up her sleep. When she wakes up in the middle of the night to feed her baby, she gets no glory for that. Nobody posts that to Facebook and says, look at what a great mother this is. But she just doesn't, not because the child has done something to deserve it, not because the child has shown any kind of uh, payment for this love, but it is unconditional, sacrificial, unfailing, unextinguishable love. It's just loving. And that's what God has placed in mothers and as a reflection of his own love. And we praise God for those mothers that we have in Christ. Now, the apostle says, I will show you a still more excellent way. What is the best way? What is the most excellent way? Well, we have that shown here at the table of the Lord. Christ Jesus, the perfect man, crowned and anointed with every gift. No human being has ever had the number and the perfection of the gifts that Jesus had. And the devil came to him in the wilderness, and the devil said, hey, you got all these gifts. You better use them for yourself. Use them for your convenience. Use them for your benefit. Use them for your glory. You're hungry. Change reality. Make the stones into bread. You're living in obscurity in your ministry. Stand on the temple and be glorified. Call on the angels to carry you up and show yourself to be the Messiah. And so the devil tempted Jesus to use his gifts as a zero, to do nothing and to gain nothing. And that's how the devil wanted to destroy the life and the work and the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus said, no, the gifts I have are for my calling. They're not for myself as a person. They're for God and my neighbor. And they are to be used to love God by obeying him, keeping his commandments, and to love my neighbor by giving up everything I have and delivering up my body to the most cruel death by giving up myself to the eternal fires of hell. Paul didn't give up his body to be burned, but Jesus did give up his body to the fires of hell itself. And all that power and all those glorious abilities and gifts, Christ took them and he used them to humble himself even unto death. Love made him pour himself out for God and for us. This is the most excellent way. In his power and by his spirit and in his love, we may now walk in that way. Amen. Well, God has 